0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast, I'm Adam Trotel from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Boston is Joseph Such. Joseph is the U.S. Chief Compliance Officer for National Grid, and uh, Joseph, thanks for taking the time from a cold Boston day to talk to us.
1: Adam, thanks a lot. You and I have known each other for a while, and I'm sincere when I say it's an honor to be on your CCE podcast.
0: Oh, well, you flatter me. And yeah, we first met you were working in Switzerland, as I recall. Now, let's let's actually, I want I want to talk about your background a bit. You've worked at a law firm or law firms, multiple businesses as a global chief compliance officer, as a consultant, as a regulator, and as a law professor, all in the compliance field. Um, it would be good if you could refresh folks on, on this dynamic background you've had.
1: Sure, I'm glad to do so. Uh, so I started my career about 25 years ago, working first in national, then international law firms. I was defending energy and manufacturing companies, and really against alleged regulatory and compliance violations before regulatory agencies, mostly in U.S. at this point in my life. Uh, One of my clients was General Electric, or GE, and they eventually asked me to come on board. So I started my move at GE. I, I shipped my family, and we moved to Fairfield, Connecticut, USA, where I worked as senior counsel. And there I represented all lines of the GE business. There was quite a few. This was a G's heyday when there's about three hundred and twenty thousand people. Wow. I then moved to Moscow, Russia, which was uh, very interesting, uh, to become the Chief Compliance officer for GE Energy in Central and Eastern Europe. I happened to have my master's in Russian, so it was a it was a nice fit. Uh, I then took a position as general counsel and Chief Compliance officer for GE Power and Water in Russia and Eastern Europe. And there, I was stationed in Prague, Czech Republic. And boy, what a nice place to spend three or four years. And then after that, I became the global chief compliance officer for GE Power. This is a position I held for many years, and I was stationed in Zurich, Switzerland. So that was my career at GE. After about 15 years at GE, I left and joined the New York State Department of Public Service to form and run a new unit as a director of the Office of Investigations and Enforcement. And this unit both investigated and prosecuted utilities for noncompliance with state laws. Oftentimes these agencies will investigate, but then turn it over to the attorney general of the state to do the prosecution. But this agency was a little different in that we also were allowed to do the prosecutions as well. So it was really a very interesting job. I was therefore promoted to deputy general counsel for this department. And thereafter, I left public service, and I currently work as the chief compliance officer for the energy utility company National Grid, which has this, as you said, it's U.S., HQ, and Boston, Mass. And Grid serves more than 50 million customers in the U.K. and the U.S. And I also, lastly, I also teach several compliance law courses at Albany Law School in Albany. So the compliance field has been, I would say, not only good to me, but it's given me a very exciting life
0: yeah i know it's it's a fascinating one, and you've seen a lot of different perspectives on it now, let's talk about the re- regulatory and compliance field and having been in it so long. What would you say has changed over the past twenty five years or so? You know Does it require a new skill set than it did when you started
1: It's a good question Adam I think the short answer is that it does. you know if you think about what you and I were worried about fifteen years ago or so. It was probably the, what we call the unholy trinity of compliance issues, anti-bribery and corruption, um, mostly with FCPA. I mean, the Russian law, 273, was not yet there. Sapender certainly wasn't there. Neither was the Brazilian Clean Companies Act. The UK bribery law was just coming in to play. So really more, more worry about the FCPA from a U.S. standpoint, competition losses such as bid rigging, price fixing, and tax evasion, you know, the big three, so to speak. So I think today's CCO requires a whole new skill set than what we needed in the past. And we've had to shift based on this. Um, The issues are much more oblique than they were in the past. And they can really catch a company off guard if you're not casting, I think, a much broader risk net. Uh, Things such as human rights, compliance issues with your contractor workforce in Dubai, let's say, or privacy concerns when conducting a global investigation. We didn't think about these things fifteen years ago. Uh, properly increased focus on respecting the workplace. And I think overall, the increased enforcement and compliance awareness of emerging markets that you typically, you know, five or 10 years ago, really only saw more with the U.S. or, or, or EU. All of this, in my opinion, really requires CCOs to be much more externally focused than we, did, than we were in the past.
0: Well, it's it's been amazing for me seeing the the range of things and and how it varies based on where you are in the world. Now, with a caveat that you're not commenting as to your prior New York State role in general, uh, having dealt with, but instead, you know, having dealt with state, U.S., federal, and global regulators across the world. What's your sense of how the business and regulatory relationship can go wrong in the compliance context?
1: Hmm. Well. That's a, comp- that's a pretty complex question because each regulatory agency, you know, and to be frank, each regulator really can vary in their enforcement priorities, how much bigger they have to charge or sentence a company, or their willingness to provide cooperation credit. But I think there's some things, you know, whether you're in Moscow or Washington, that are going to be the same and gonna, you, you should always be on the watch for. A company, in my opinion, loses instant credibility with an agency when it really pushes a bad position from the start. Now, I'm not talking about an alleged noncompliance that is subject to a technical or a different legal interpretation. That's different. That's our job as lawyers. That's our job at CCOs. But I'm talking rather where the company just clearly made a mistake. They made a mistake and still argues otherwise with the regulator. I always think admit your mistakes and then professionally and zealously advocate you know, when you think you got it right or if your employee went rogue, you say that as well but state, state the facts clearly. So I think that's one area. But I also think agencies can get it wrong at times, global agencies, when they jump to an early position of wrongdoing. You know, it's, it's not always that companies are looking to do things in a nefarious nature. They really have to look at the business context of how companies are doing business. You know, An example may be um, uh, a, working with a third party. Not every time you hire a third party in a global setting or as a sales agent, it doesn't mean you intend to do things wrong. It may be because the company is still unfamiliar with the region and its business opportunities. That's a legitimate reason to hire a third party. It may be to allow the sales agent you know, to make legitimate business contacts in the industry. I don't want to hire, if I'm in the bread industry, I don't want to hire someone who's knowledgeable in uh, manufacturing. I want to have someone who's knowledgeable in bread. So I expect that sales agent or that representative could be very knowledgeable on my industry. It may be to keep base or variable costs down. This is a big deal for a company. Uh, base or variable, for instance, such as office rent, the full-time employee pay versus hiring a temporary employee while you're still evaluating the market, um, you know, certificate to operate fees, or just generally keeping spend down until a company is really short sure it wants to more fully invest in the country or region. These are legitimate reasons for hiring third parties, but the regulators are often not business experts. It's okay. So don't be afraid to explain to them and provide the business context of your deal. I think that's something that's very important.
0: So that leads sort of into my next question, which is what are things companies can and should do to help the conversation?
1: Well, I think one of the things is the company should be really open, open to getting it right, opening it right internally, first of all, conducting an objective investigation, socializing what went wrong so it doesn't repeat, working with the regulator to ensure that they are aware of the steps you're taking if you're in a self-reporting or required reporting type of situation. So I think it's really transparency. Oftentimes, bad situations will come up and you really have to have the right story. And the right story comes from doing the right thing. So I, I think just by acting properly, with integrity, digging in, self-reporting, reporting as necessary, you're gonna the company will be on the right track. So
0: finally, what emerging areas of compliance do you see as the ones to watch now?
1: You know, I think one, which is still... Very much on CCOs minds, and they're still looking for the boundaries of it, if you will. Is ESG? It's it's very much in flux. At what it means from a compliance perspective. Yes, of course, it stands for environmental, social, and governance. I, I understand that. As do many of the folks on the phone. But but what's in scope for ESG? Does it vary significantly based on the company's business model, or wh- the way it goes to market, for instance? How does a company monitor ESG? How is ESG different than the term we use so often only a few years ago, CSI, corporate social responsibility? Now, measuring ESG and complying with its standards, whether those standards are or measurements, whether those standards are self imposed or not, I really think will be a big compliance focus in the very near future. I know this is a big topic at my company, National Grid, for both our ratepayers and shareholders, and it very much has my Attention, just to give SEC a plug, and this is this is with sincerity. I oftentimes read your CEP uh, magazine, and particularly the ESG articles with with Vest, because um, I think it provides some good good examples and good boundaries of what other CCOs are dealing with on this.
0: Well, we've certainly seen just an enormous increase of interest in it and the overlap with compliance, you know, from everything from corporate values to as companies set goals and as government regulators set requirements, there's going to be the temptation to cheat uh, fall squarely in the wheelhouse of the compliance team. Well, um, Joseph, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and share the experience you've had over the last 25 years. Um, I also want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Triltaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.